Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'll start. My name is Rod. And I like to party. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? All right, welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. I'm Robert Frazier, your host for the Wednesday show. Tim Galley's not here with us today, but I have a special guest with us. His name is Steve Pike. Uh, many of you may know him from the Church Multiplication Network that he helped found in 2008. Uh, it's a part of the Assemblies of God uh, mission community. They have seen over 5,000 churches planted across the U.S., trained almost 8,000 church planters. And so we figured he had a ton to share with us about what does it look like to do the beginning of the journey well. And that's what we're going to be focusing on over the next few months is for those of you who are in the process of planting, what are the things that you've got to do at the beginning that are going to set yourself up for long-term impact? And uh, Steve is now leading Next Wave, an urban islands project, and has re really shifted his focus towards what does it look like to do church planting well in urban context, which is a particularly difficult and different set of questions. So welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks. Honored to be here. Yeah, glad, glad you could glad you could jump in today. Well, I, I first want to start with you as a planter. Tell me your journey yeah. as a church planter and how how God got a hold of your heart. Yeah, boy, great question. So, I was serving on the staff of a mega church in um, just outside of Chicago in 1989. Some of you peeps were not even born then, but anyway, there I was uh, cruising along. Everything's going great, happy. And, and I started to have this sense of God's getting ready to move us on to something else. My wife and I, without going into the details, we had a very definite sense of calling to missions mm. is, is, is what we thought. And so we were and we thought that meant like Africa or something or, you know, someplace besides the United States. So we started pursuing that. And in the process of doing so, had another point where we realized, wait, God's calling us to do mission here in the United States by starting a new church somewhere where there's not a lot of people that are already following Jesus. And so at the same time, we were kind of thinking that this, this guy who was a missionary in Utah, he was a 
uh, planning churches in Utah, he came to our church and spoke. And I'm like, that's it. That's the place. My wife and I both realized. So we ended up, um, you know, real feeling like we're supposed to go to go to Utah and plant a church. And we had no, we'd never done that before. And honestly, in 1989, oh my goodness, there was just very, there were very little written resources. Yeah. It was, it, it's weird because churches were being started back then, but they were more really started. It was like people would say, hey, we need another Baptist church in this town, or we need another Lutheran church or something. By the for the wanting like another version of what they were Right, doing. right. We need a place for our people to meet was kind of why churches were, I mean, that's oversimplifying and it wasn't all that, but, but that was kind of the main reason I think there wasn't a lot of intentionality in church planning because we weren't thinking about it being a way to reach lost people. It was more of a way to serve found people. And so, um, it wasn't a mission, it was but, organization. It was, it was not, not missionaries going out. It was, Hey, let's gather up the Christians in this neighborhood. And care exactly. It, exactly. That's how it was being done. So that's, I hadn't, you know, I, I hadn't really given, I, I actually had thought about starting churches before because I'm kind of a starter. Uh, I, I'm a habitual starter, but you know, other efforts I had tried, got the kibosh because people, people didn't think it was a good idea, whatever. Anyway, at this point, nobody cared about going to, I mean, if you're going to Utah, God bless you. Hope it works out. You know, <laughs> we'll throw a little money at you. Yeah, yeah. So I went through the process of talking to my pastor and saying, Hey, I think I'm supposed to go start a church in Utah. And he said, okay, well, we'll, uh, you know, let's figure out a transition strategy. And so, um, I decided to, because one of the things I, obviously you got to figure out is like, how are we going to feed ourselves? Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, the assemblies of God, which is the, the denomination that, that I'm affiliated with has this program they call home missions, or now it's called us missions. And basically allows you to put on the tag of a missionary and invite people to support you. And they have a way to manage that money yeah. and do it. So you don't end up doing jail ministry from inside the jail. You know, so you weren't, yeah, you weren't going to, you weren't going to go to Utah and open up a coffee shop. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that's a, that's a very, uh, yeah, very insightful comment. That would be pretty much suicidal. <laughs> it's a, yeah, a coffee. Try, yeah. Yeah. Starting a church as a coffee shop in Utah, especially back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe, maybe I could start a church by starting a place where Mormons could buy their Mormon underwear or something like that, you know, <laughs> an ice cream uh, shop or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but but not not a coffee shop, right? No, no. Yeah, and and so, but you you actually that you know we're joking about it, but um, the funny the weird thing about Utah is it is, and again I I think it's changed somewhat, but it, it's still to some degree is is a very unique cultural uh, place in the United States. Uh, about seventy percent. This was in nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety when I went there. About seventy percent of the population would identify as Mormon, whether they were active or not, uh, but they, they were very committed to the idea that the Mormon church is right there. Church the religious identity was fundamentally Mormon, even if they weren't engaged with it, that was how they saw themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, a, you know, maybe the same time frame. a lot of Christian, a lot of people in America thought, well, I'm a Christian, you know, they, yeah. and they, they thought they're Mormon, but I would say it was a little bit stronger than that because you know, what I found was the really committed Mormons were actually really welcoming and kind and stuff to us. 
the people who were more, uh, they call them, uh, now I forgot the word, Jack but it's Mormons. They're, they're, <laughs> Jack Mormons. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. I don't know why I blanked on that, but that, you know, the Jack Mormons are the ones who would fight you. You know, like if you said, yeah. Hey, we're starting a church and it's not Mormon. They're like, Hey, don't be messing with Mormon, you know? And yeah. so it was, that was a surprise. The other 30% was broken down pretty, pretty strongly between 29% of the rest of the population hated any form of religion and had no desire to do anything, have anything yeah. to do with it. And then a, a tiny little sliver of maybe one to one and a half, one to one half to 1% of the population would identify as what we would call biblical Christians or people who, you know, uh, understood scripture to be the guide for following Jesus. And so, um, you know, if you're going to start a church there, it's pretty, pretty difficult to do it by just saying, hey, we're starting a new church. Uh -huh. Nobody's really that excited about it, which forced us, you, you know, uh, we couldn't, quote unquote, cheat with like, we'll just get a bunch of people to move from one church to another. We actually had to go out and win people to Jesus. So yeah. um, so we, we, we figured out how to get enough income to keep our family afloat and just move there. And just started trying to connect with people and win people to Jesus, and that's how we started the church. Well, let's let's dive in right there. What was what was the stuff that you thought would work and didn't, and what was the stuff that surprised you along the way as as you saw the Spirit start to move ahead of you and work and all that? yeah, yeah. So b before we moved to Utah, one of my neighbors in I lived in Naperville, which is outside of Chicago, and one of my neighbor neighbors there was a very strong, committed Mormon guy and his wife, and they had like six or seven kids. And he was a research scientist for AT&T. I mean, this guy was super smart. And uh, we became really good friends. And man, I, so I expected the entire state of Utah to be filled with people like him. I thought like, this guy's the normal Mormon. And he was like super committed. I mean, he had a really genuine faith. I mean, I, we had some fascinating face conversations. So anyway, yeah. my, probably the biggest surprise was most of the people in Utah didn't know a whole lot. They, they had a very truncated understanding of the Christian churches that had been kind of delivered to them through some of the um, ways they've been taught. And so I kind of expected people like my neighbor and most, most of them were people who were just like, nah, we're not interested. Yeah. Um, he was, he was actually in spiritual conversations. So, so it, it was, it was, uh, that, that was surprising to me. Um, I think another thing though, on the other hand, in contrast, that was surprising to me was how easy it was to talk to people about spiritual things there because they were just, they were curious. Uh -huh. And, um, and so a lot of what I did was just go around and knock on doors and stuff like that. Um, but the, here's, I think the, 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 the big learning was, cause here's the, the big question I had going there was like, I don't even know how to lead a Mormon to Jesus. Like, how do I even do that? You know? And so what is this just, conversation about atonement and gospel look like when all of the words that you're using have different meanings to them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That that was the challenge was, yeah, you you there's like this several layers of communication that were you had to you had to figure out a way to get through. And it was just I was just oh, I, in retrospect, I think it was overthinking it because because they're, you know, Mormons are people. They're just people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if you try, you, you can overthink stuff. So anyway, what happened was, you know, we just we were on our knees, man, praying like God help us and help us to help people come to Jesus. And so 
before, I mean, we were just in the process of moving there. And one of the things we decided to do was we're going to buy a house here, like to let people know You're we're not just here temporarily. We're not going to rent. We're going to buy. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we went through the process. We found a house. We went into, and, and this is back in the days before you just did all your loan stuff online. We had to go sit with a loan officer and make an application. And then yep. they processed the loan. And then you came back and you signed the paper. So it was like a two-week process. So um, the, during the interview, we're going through the, our loan officer's name was Lori. And she said, um, she said, what's your occupation? And I said, pastor. And she said, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> And I had, you know, I had never been asked that question. It's like a bishop, but you work for the, it's a, yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, that I, I did have to translate and say, well, it's a bishop who gets paid. She goes, really? They pay you to do this? I mean, she's a loan officer. So she's like, it can't be that much. You know, that was not a good answer. (laughs) And so, um, you know, so she's like, okay, you know, and, and so she said, well, come back in two weeks. I'll let you know. So we go back and, and, and now, you know, we've been informed, yes, your loan's been approved. And now you just need to come and sign the paper. So it's kind of a celebratory moment. And our Mormon real estate guy was with us to, to just be there to see the paper signed. Cause of course he gets paid then. And, um, he's there and so he's back. there, he's there for, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so he's in the room and, you know, we're going through signing the papers and he goes, well, I'm, I, I got to move on. I have another appointment. He walked out the door and as the door shut behind him, Lori said, oh, I'm glad he's gone. And I said, why? And she said, well, cause I have some questions I want to ask you. I said, okay, what's that? She said, well, she said, you told me you were a pastor. So I was just really curious about that. Cause when you describe what a pastor does, cause I basically said what pastors do is they help people follow Jesus. And she said, I, I just had never heard talk like that. So she said, I decided to check you out. She said, I've checked you out deeper and more thoroughly than any other person I've ever done. And I'm freaking out because I'm thinking about speeding tickets and stuff like that, that I've gotten over the years and, you know, dumb adolescence things I did 40 years ago. No, maybe at that point it wasn't 40 years. It was, it was much, years much before. sooner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so, but she said, and, and I said, well, you know, what'd you find out? And she goes, well, she said, you, you appear to be exactly who you say you are. And she said, I just have one more question for you. And I said, what's that? She said, when you start your church, can I come to it? And I said, why would you think you couldn't? She said, well, I'm Mormon. And she said, you know, I'm a divorced mom. So I'm kind of rejected by the Mormon church. And she said, does your church accept divorced moms? I've got my little boy and me. I said, we would love you to come, Lori. So um, Lori came the very first time we had a public gathering. She was there. And I don't know, two or three weeks into it, she responded to an invitation to accept Jesus into her life. And I started to see, okay, that's how it can happen. And it, it happens through relationship and it happens through connection and it happens through being connected to people in ways that aren't spiritual, like getting alone, you know, or being on a ball team or just, you know, working together or going to school together and all those kinds of things. And so, um, so that's over the years, we saw hundreds of those stories happen uh, not just through us personally, but as the church began to grow and Lori brought her friends and da, 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 you know, over the years that grew into a significant faith community, we were able to help start five other churches out of that church in Utah because we kind of figured out how to do it. Um, and so that's my, that's my startup story. I love it uh, because every, every single church planner has a unique 
set of circumstances. And I, I think I'm drawn to your story. My high school is probably 65, 70% Mormon. And so I, Oh, so you get it. I, yeah. I live that, you know, here in Boise, we have, we used to have a much more significant Mormon population. It's, it's much smaller um, now than when I was a child, but it is a, it's a different sort of mission field that has a different set of parameters. And what I'm seeing is, you know, we have 56, 60% of the treasure Valley are religious. None of the above. Almost all, yeah. probably two thirds of them are ex-Mormons because they have right. said, I've tried religion and I found it, that it didn't give them what they were looking for. But all of them, right. I think if you, if you dug in, they're still looking for grace. They're still right. looking oh, yeah. for what, what the gospel has to offer. They just think that religion has no, no way to do that. And the answer is religion doesn't have a way to do that. It's the kingdom right. of God coming in power through the presence of the right. spirit and people. And, you know, it's, it's that work. I, I want to hear from you. We're going to talk later about networks and church planting, you know, kind of across the U.S. I want to hear more about what you're doing with Next Wave and Urban Islands. But I want to start with mm-hmm. well, you, you sit with a lot of church planters. Mm-hmm. You've probably sat with hundreds um, along the journey. And I, I've, I've sat with a lot, too. But I, I want to hear from you. When, when you're walking with new church planters and they sit down with you for that, that lunch meeting and they're like, hey, give me the tips and tricks. What, what do you, t- and we don't actually tell them the tips and tricks when they ask for them. We, we talk about like <laughs> spiritual formation because that's, you know, most of the time the answer that they need. But I, I want to hear yeah. from you, what do you, what's the advice that you give to church planters who are preparing, or may, let's say they're a year or two out from planting. They're kind of at the very beginning yeah. of the journey. They, they stumble upon church planter podcasts or they start reading the book or they go to a conference, you know, their, their church went to exponential and they had that end right. exponential moment when they went forward and received prayer. What, what, yeah. what do you want to hand to them as they're starting out? How, how, how do you, how would you want to shape their journey as they're, as they're thinking about what, what's next? Yeah. Um, well, I think, I, I don't know if I share this, but I, I have kind of a framework that I think is universally applicable, no matter what model, no matter what way people are approaching church planning. It seems like people kind of go through these five phases in this sequence. It's, it's, it's pretty much sequential. I mean, some of it can happen at the same time, but just the five phases would be, I'm just, I'll just name them and then I'll describe them. Discovery, discerning or discernment or whatever, discern, discover, discern, deploy, develop and duplicate. Those are the, those are the five phases. And what you're talking about is the discovery phase, the discovery phase when people come, usually when they, they don't, where you described them, they don't yet know, like I'm supposed to go to Boise and start a church. They, they just are thinking about the idea of church planning and that's the discovery mode. And in the discovery mode, I just, when, if somebody's in that mode, cause I always kind of try to find out where they're at on the journey. Um, cause sometimes I'm talking to somebody and they've already decided where they're going. They've already moved there. <laughs> they just want me to say, okay, you know, do this. Um, and so that's different. And, and I actually prefer talking to somebody in the discovery mode because I think we can help them. But anyway, what I encourage people in discovery is number one, um, just get curious, you know, just, just learn everything you can look out there, go hang, hang out with Robert Frazier, go hang out with, um, you know, other people that you know about that are, that are starting churches and just get familiar with what's going on and don't just, don't lock yourself into, you know, don't pick the first thing you see and go, Ooh, I want to do that because that that's going to be too narrow. So just, 
give give yourself time to do some uh, just just uh, exploration and be curious and um and and listen to god and and even do some pre-assessment kind of stuff kind of look at yourself and think about you know am i really a person who um who enjoys being the point person of a startup endeavor uh do i have that in my background you know just just look at that kind of stuff so that that would be that discover phase where it's like hmm uh i'm wondering if god might be calling me to church planning and when you know you move from discover to discern is when you do you do you know you've had something happen or you're the you're starting to really think wait i think god's calling me to start a church then you move into the discern phase well let's and let's the dessert let's okay double, let's double click on discover real quick before we move on okay um, sure sure so it seems like there's a there's guys who they they kind of go into the black box of themselves during the discover phase a lot of those guys are like i think there's something stirring inside of me i need to piece it through yeah. And then what they do is they come out with a proclamation. This is what God has told me to do. Right, right, right. Or, right. or guys have this inkling and then they, they're waiting for somebody else to give them permission to go. And they're like sitting around hoping that somebody's going to tell them, Hey, I'm going to give right. you a quarter million dollars. And, but it really, everybody needs to be somewhere in the middle there where there's space yeah. for people to speak into it. How, how do right. you, how do you tell, you know, young church planters, Hey, take a beat, slow down. Oh yeah, with mental. Oh yeah. Like, what's what's the process that you ask them well, to go into? Well, see, yeah, see, I, I mean, that's that's all part. Yeah, so yeah, in that discover phase, if somebody, if I'm talking to that person, I am saying, um, slow down for sure. I mean, we've we've turned it into some kind of um, franchise thing where you know, even even the language, like you're two years out from church planning that that is faulty language and and what i try to do is reorient their, their thinking process again around these phases these phases don't have time frames attached to them i say stay in the discover phase until you know that god is calling you to this and i don't know how to tell you when you're going to know that because yeah. i think it's very different for every person but don't move forward until you you've got that and so you you pointed out you know one mistake you can make is just sort of navel gaze, navel gaze and, you know, do all kinds of spiritual and mental gymnastics to try to psych yourself into something. And that's why I, I think a better approach is just to be, just start being curious, just start learning what you can. Yeah, go to exponential, but don't go there, you know, don't give in to the impulse to just fall in love with somebody's story and then start fantasizing that that's going to happen for you. That's what ends up really hurting a lot of people is they get um, attracted to a story and they kind of resonate with they feel like oh, i'm the same kind of person and it's going to happen for me and you know every church plant is a work of art mm -hmm. and to just narrow it down into just copying exactly what somebody else did obviously we can learn from each other we can be guided by from each other which is why you want to be curious and learn um so uh I, uh, you know, I, I just really encourage people to, to take their time. And sometimes I, I help them think about like, you, you know, especially if you're going to a place, let's just be real about this. Like you went to Boise. Um, what I know about Boise is, yeah, it has a high population of Mormon people. So it's not the place 
that um, there's there's other well let's just say the southern United States you've got people it's still kind of a Christian culture down there and starting a church down there this the, the way you do that is completely different than a place yeah. where people you know you've got to really start at a different place with moving people toward Jesus and, and all the stuff you do well, we, so we have problems I, it, with that around here where guys come in expecting a launch large model that works well in the south and they show up and they're like, we're gonna we're gonna have 300 people opening Sunday it's like God bless you if you do, but that's going to be a tough pull, man. That's not what happened. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so that's, so I really try to actually manage their expectations. I try, I say things like, you know, um, this might take you, <laughs> you know, five years from this point before you actually start to see anything happening. So it's not going to be, six months if it does happen in six to 12 months that's great i'm not against that but let's just slow down and get everything in the right order because really again the discovery phase is when they're just sort of sampling what's out there and and increasing their knowledge and and just 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 enjoy it because the next phase and and i know i, I know you said let's double click oh, on, yeah we're ready to move on, on, on discovery <laughs> but but i I want it because I think this is where it really helps people when they realize what you need to do next is not just go dive bomb into the first community that you think. This is where discernment is. Okay, one of the things you want to discern is to where or to whom or to where and whom are you called? You know, like who is God breaking your heart for? Um, and, and again, this is so it's I think that the the transition between discover to deploy, I mean, I'm sorry, discover to discern is that you've arrived at a place where you are very sure you, you feel this, this sense of calling. And now I want you to dig deeper and go, okay, what is that calling? Where's that calling focused? Is it a place? Is it a people? Is it both a place and a people? Because at the end of the day, starting a church is local. I mean, even if it's an online church, it's still local to the, it's there's a there's a set of people it's gamers it's this it's that it's people who you know work in the airline industry whatever that can't they have a hard time connecting with a a brick and mortar church in a in a geographic location so but it's still it's it's local in the sense that the, the people are going to be um generally it's it's really tough to have a church where you have you know 20 different languages spoken i know treat, people are trying to pull that off but most of the time same language most of the time a similar kind of culture um uh and so anyway the point is who's god breaking your heart for 